So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations and this beautiful feast, the Feast of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the 23rd, it's actually the 23rd of June, the, the, the Feast of Corpus Christi. Thank you again for joining us. And of course, that was the beautiful hymn that we all pray and come to love at this time of the year, O Sacrament Most Holy, O Sacrament Divine. All praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thy. So again, as I said, thank you very much, Neil, for joining us, and you're most welcome, especially those who are listening to us on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 Local Radio, uh, where we're broadcasting at 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. each Sunday. And of course, any podcast uh, playbacks are available on commonseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com or on our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com. As again, a special welcome to those who are sick and lonely, those who'd love to get out of the house this morning, those who'd love to go to Mass. And later on at this introduction, we'll have a special prayer for those who can't receive Jesus at Mass this morning. But in the meantime, to welcome onto the programme this morning two saints who are going to help me to produce the programme this morning. First of all, my dear lady wife Anne, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, John. Good morning, listeners. And also Lorraine Buckley. Good morning, John. Your lady wife is a saint, John. I'm one in the making. I tell you, both of you are good There's enough. a work in progress sign over me. You're good enough, as I'm concerned, girls. Thank you very much indeed for putting up with me every week. And of course, I just to remind people again, if you want to contact us at all, 87 6088667 is a text number. That's 87 6088667. Or you can email us, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, just before Lorraine shares some saints for the week again, just to remind listeners again, um, because this, of course, also is the week of the Sacred Heart, the month of the Sacred Heart, and the Sacred Heart Novena continues in Robertstown and the Shines Bynes Parish. Um, this evening uh, continues until next Friday at 8 p.m. nightly. There's on the 25th, which is Tuesday. There's a there's a June blessing for the sixth ceremony, again as part of that 8 p.m. ceremony. Confessions nightly after each ceremony, and of course, there's a beautiful time, and I think this is a beautiful addition to this particular novena. There's quiet time before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. each night. So again, as part of the sacred at Novena in Robertstown, County Limerick here, and that's in the Fines, Shannon Golden Parish. And one more Sacred Heart at Novena continues on in the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, Sacred Heart Church in the Crescent, Limerick. Um, 12 noon and 7pm, Mass and Devotions each day. 4pm to 6pm, there's Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and 5pm Rosary. Next Friday, the 28th of June, there's a 7pm Mass in Benedictin for the renewal of the consecration of Ireland to the Most Sacred Heart. So that's on next Friday, uh, uh, 7pm. Uh, that's at the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, Sacred Heart Church in the Crescent in Limerick. Now, Lorraine, saints for the week, please. You might lead us into some of those beautiful people who went before us and showing us the way. Well, we have a big week this week for the Saints, John. On Monday, the 24th of June, we have the birthday of St. John the Baptist, which is a solemnity. Ordinarily, the church observes the day of a saint's death as his feast because that day marks his entrance into heaven. But there are two notable exceptions. 
to that, and that is the birthday of Blessed Mary, Holy Mary Virgin, and of Saint John the Baptist. All other persons, of course, were born with original sin, um, but Mary was already in the first moment of her existence. She was free from original sin. And of course, John was cleansed of original sin in the womb of his mother. So on the 24th, we pray uh, that Saint John the Baptist, the great predecessor of Jesus, the one who went out and spoke of God and of um, Jesus to everybody, oftentimes in the wilderness, oftentimes with great austerity. We pray that he will be an inspiration to us going out into the world and hopefully his inspiration will lead us to be better witnesses to Christ in our world. On Tuesday, the 25th of June, we have William of Vercelli. He was a hermit on Mount Virginia in Italy. And after a pilgrimage to Compostela attracted so many followers that a monastery was built. So he went on to um, create the order of the hermits of Monte Virginia or the Williamites. He's also called William of Monte Virginia. On Wednesday, the 26th of June, we have St. Anthelm. He was a Carthusian monk and bishop, a defender of papal authority. Born in 1107 in a castle near Chambéry in Savoy in France, he was ordained a priest and visited the Carthusian Charter House at Port, where he entered the order at the age of 30. Anthelm, um, on his deathbed, received a penitent Count Humbert and he died in 1178. His feast has been celebrated by the Carthusians since 1607 and his relics are enshrined in Belly in liturgical art. Anthem is depicted with a lamp lit by a divine hand. On Thursday, we have one of what Shane would call our heavy hitters, St. Cyril of Alexandria. He was a bishop and he is a doctor of the church. He was born at Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, He was the nephew of the patriarch of that city, Theophilus. Cyril received a classical and theological education at Alexandria and was ordained by his uncle. He accompanied Theophilus to Constantinople in 403 and was present at the Synod of the Oak that that deposed John Chrysostom, whom he believed guilty of charges against him. In 430, Cyril became embroiled with Nestorius, a patriarch of Constantinople. Now, Nestorius was saying that Mary could be called the mother of Christ, but not God-bearer. So she could be called Christicus, but not Theoticus. And of course, it was Cyril of Alexandria's argument that you couldn't split Christ up if Mary was the mother of Jesus. Well, Jesus was God, so she, of course, could be called God-bearer. So this went back and forth and back and forth for over two years, and then they reached an agreement During the rest of his life, Cyril wrote many treaties that clarified the doctrines of the Trinity and the Incarnation especially, and he is a doctor of the Church. On Friday, as we were talking earlier, John, the 28th of June, we have the most sacred heart of Jesus, which is a solemnity which we are preparing for. The Friday that follows the second Sunday in time after Pentecost is always the Feast of the Sacred Heart, which brings to mind all the attributes of his divine heart, most especially his love. Many Catholics prepare for the feast by a novena. From the earliest days of the church, Christ's open side and the mystery of blood and water were meditated upon and the church was beheld as issuing from the side of Jesus as Eve came forth from the side of Adam. Of course, the devotion came about really 
in Benedictine and Cistercian monasteries, especially in response to the devotion of St. Gertrude the Great, but specific devotions became popularised when St. Margaret Mary Alico, a visitation nun, had a personal revelation involving a series of visions of Christ as she prayed before the Blessed Sacrament. She wrote, He disclosed to me the marvels of his love and the inexplicable secrets of his sacred heart. Isn't that beautiful? And of course... There are a number of um, promises that Jesus makes to those who consecrate themselves and make reparation to his sacred heart, which we won't go into the whole of them today because we have a very busy program. And normally on the Saturday after the uh, Friday Feast of the Sacred Heart, we would have the Memorial of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But this year, because of the way the dates fall on Saturday, we celebrate St. Peter and St. Paul, the Solemnity. Of course, uh, the Church celebrates the feast day of St. Peter and St. Paul as early as the year 258 AD. Peter, of course, was Simon, a fisherman of Galilee, introduced to the Lord by his brother Andrew, a fisherman. Peter, I think, is a great uh, symbol and a great sign mm. of hope for those of us who kind of rush head first, yep. head first and uh, kind of put our two feet in occasionally. But um, absolute great witness to Christ and, of course, the first pope. St. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. His letters are included in the writings of the New Testament. And through them, we learn much about his life and the life of the early church. Paul was imprisoned and taken to Rome, where he was beheaded in the year 67. So in a sermon in the year 395, St. Augustine of Hippo said of St. Peter and St. Paul, both apostles share the same feast day, for these two were one, and even though they suffered on different days, they were as one. Peter went first and Paul followed, and so we celebrate this day made holy for us by the apostles' blood. Let us embrace what they believed, their life, their labours, their sufferings, their preaching, and their confession of faith. Lorraine, thank you so much for that. So now, just before Anne prays uh, this prayer for for those uh, people who can't receive Jesus this morning at Mass, I just want to remind listeners again that that, uh, next week's programme will be centred around uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So we haven't forgotten the Sacred Heart Feast, the most important. So Anne, at this point, uh, the programme might pray this prayer uh, for those who can't receive Jesus at Mass this morning. Thanks, Anne. Okay. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I now cannot receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. Now, Lorraine, you got a nice little piece of music to finish up this second part, this first part this morning, please. Exactly, John. Uh, This piece of music is Ave Verum Corpus by King's College, Cambridge.
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in studio here by Anne and Lorraine. And as this being the Feast of the Corpus Christi, the Body and Blood of Christ, who else would we get to give us a reflection but Lorraine Buckley, our own little Lorraine. <laughs> there are many people far better um, educated and better able to speak about the Feast of Corpus Christi Sorry, than Spirit, I. The Holy Spirit decided to <laughs> you're on. Okay. Okay, so today's feast is, of course, Corpus Christi, or as uh, the kind of English title would be, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Jesus Christ, in which we celebrate the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul and divinity. And we'll come back to that in a little while. Let's look at the history of the feast. It's traditionally celebrated, of course, on the Thursday following the Solemnity of the Holy Trinity. And of course, for us in Ireland, that has been transferred to the Sunday. So we celebrate it today instead of last Thursday. The feast itself dates to the Middle Ages and originated with a visionary nun and with a Eucharistic miracle. On Holy Thursday, the day on which the Church commemorates the institution of the Holy Eucharist, it's impossible to honour the Blessed Sacrament with the appropriate solemn and joyful rites because, of course, Holy Thursday is part of the Easter Triduum. So just before it, we have the betrayal of Judas and immediately afterwards, we're into the Passion with Jesus. So it was a humble nun in Belgium, St. Juliana, uh, the prioress of Mont. Corleone, who first suggested and advocated a special feast in honour of the Blessed Sacrament to be celebrated on a day other than Holy Thursday. From her 16th year, she had often in her prayers beheld a strange sight. It was as if the full moon appeared to her in brilliant light, while a part of its disc remained black and lightless. Finally, in a vision, Christ showed her the meaning of this picture. The moon represented the ecclesiastical year, the church's year, and the black spot indicated the lack of a festival in honour of the Blessed Sacrament. She was announced to the authorities of the church that God wished such a feast to be established. In 1230, Juliana communicated her secret to a small group of learned theologians. As her message became publicly known, she had to suffer scorn and ridicule for some years, as many of her visionaries have had to do over the years. But the bishop of her diocese and some of his canons eventually lent a willing ear to her appeals. A diocesan synod in 1246 decided in her favour and prescribed such a feast for the churches of Liège. Was it a mere coincidence that one of the men who had supported her efforts in Belgium later became Pope? He was Jacques who became Urban IV. Now, in the meantime, in 1263, a German priest, Father Peter of Prague, made a pilgrimage to Rome. He stopped in Balsina in Italy to celebrate Mass at the Church of St. Christina. At the time, he was having doubts about Jesus being truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. He was affected by the growing debate among certain theologians who, for the first time in the history of the Church, began introducing doubts about the body and blood of Christ being actually present in the consecrated bread and wine. In response to his doubt, when he recited the prayer of consecration as he celebrated the Mass, blood started seeping from the consecrated host and onto the altar and corporal. Father Peter reported this miracle to Pope Urban IV, who at 
who at the time was nearby in Orvieto, and the Pope sent delegates to investigate and ordered that the host and the bloodstained corporal be brought to Orvieto. The relics were then placed in the Cathedral of Orvieto, where they still remain today. So this Eucharistic miracle confirmed the visions given to Saint Juliana of Mont Corleone in Belgium. Juliana was a nun and a mystic who had a series of visions, as I said, about that moon with the dark spot in which Jesus asked her to establish, or asked the church rather, to establish a liturgical feast for the Holy Eucharist. On the 8th of September 1264, six years after Juliana's death, Pope Urban IV established for the whole church a festival in honour of the Holy Eucharist, which the saintly nun had proclaimed to be willed by God. It was to be celebrated with great solemnity on the Thursday after Pentecost week and indulgences were granted to all who would receive Holy Communion or attend special devotions, hearing that Mass or attending that Mass, as we would say. Urban IV commissioned the great Dominican scholar Saint Thomas Aquinas to compose the texts of that Mass and Divine Office for the new feast. Those texts are still in use today and I would highly recommend you to take out your missal today and to read through all the prayers of the Mass. They are stunning. They are absolutely beautiful, John. Um, Just to sit with them and to pray with them. A lot of them we would know by heart anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just to take them out and reflect on them during the day would be wonderful. Because sometimes at Mass... It's part of the ritual. It's part of we're so used to it. Exactly. We're kind of used to that, as you say, that ritual of mass that sometimes, even though our heart might be there, we're not really meditating on the words and and what's going on. So it's lovely if we have a little bit of time today just to take out the readings for the mass and reflect on those again. Of course, Corpus Christi is a time where many churches celebrate um, Corpus Christi processions and usually the children who have received First Holy Communion come and they profess their faith in the real presence of Jesus by either accompanying the Blessed Sacrament or by spreading petals um, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It is one time when our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament is exposed not just to the faithful Catholics in a Catholic church, but to all the world. We bring Christ physically into our towns and into our communities and ask him to bless everyone. And this is a time when Catholics can show their love for Christ in the real presence by honouring him in a very public way. And of course, we do so in a very reverential way, too. There is no point in having a Corpus Christi procession if we don't do it reverently and beautifully. And it always strikes me how wonderfully, for example, Newcastle West, which I would know quite well, how all the little um, houses on the street would put up their images of the Sacred Heart or images of statues or have fresh flowers out or would have candles. It's really very, very beautiful sign of the love we have for Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Of course, what do we mean when we're talking about the real presence of Jesus in um, the Blessed Sacrament or in Holy Communion? It's based on the words of Jesus himself when he instituted the Eucharist. So we're going back again to Holy Thursday. Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body. He didn't say this is a representation of my body. This is a symbol of my body. This is my body. And of course, the priest, when he prays that part of the mass, he is praying it in persona Christi. In other words, it is Christ himself who is praying those words again. This is my body. 
and he declared that the body, the bread is actually his body and that he is really present. And of course, he said with the chalice of wine, this is my blood. So we accept that as a matter of faith. Like you can have all the signs in the world and apart from Eucharistic miracles where there've been a number of Eucharistic miracles where they've been able to scientifically look at the host that is bleeding and figure out that it is human blood um, and that it does resonate with what we would know of Jesus at the time. But apart from that, there is no scientific evidence. There is no definite or factual proof of the um, the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. So we see with the eyes of faith, we believe Jesus because he is God. He cannot lie. He said himself, he is the way, the truth and the life. Saint Cyril of Alexandria, whom we spoke about earlier, said, do not doubt whether this is true, but rather receive the words of the Saviour in faith, for since he is truth, he cannot lie. The words of Jesus are clear and unambiguous. Chapter six of John's Gospel as well speaks very clearly about the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So again, we might have our faith maybe eroded a little bit or maybe we have come just a tiny bit kind of used to the fact that we receive Holy Communion and perhaps we don't reflect on it as much as we should, that when we receive Holy Communion, it is truly the body and blood of Jesus Christ whom we receive. It is Jesus himself whom we receive. And there are many beautiful Catholic hymns that remind us of this and occasionally we would have them in and around Feast of Corpus Christi or, you know, during your Eucharistic adoration where we have benediction. Um, One of those hymns is the Tantum Ergo and we know it very well. As good Catholics, we sing it very well. But do we know what the words mean in English? Um, I'm going to read out a translation of them here. It's not an exact kind of literal translation. It's more of a poetic translation, but it still speaks the truth. Down in adoration falling, lo, the sacred host we hail. Lo, or ancient forms departing, newer rites of grace prevail. Okay, the ancient forms depart the old covenant of the covenants all throughout the Old Testament, which was preparing us for the coming of Jesus Christ. Newer rites of grace prevail, the newer rites, the sacraments through which we receive grace, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, all the sacraments. Faith for all defects supplying where the feeble senses fail. Well, the feeble senses fail because we see bread and wine. That's all we can see when we smell it, when we taste it. It is, it tastes like bread. It tastes like wine. So our senses fail us in that sense. Faith supplies for that. To the everlasting Father and the Son who reigns on high with the Holy Spirit proceeding forth from each eternally be salvation, honour, blessing, might and endless majesty. So again, when we receive Jesus, we receive the fullness of the Holy Trinity because you cannot separate them out. We're receiving God into our souls. It's incredible. And just so we can reflect on that, we're going to listen now to a rendition of the Tantum Ergo. Tantum Ergo Sacramentum Lanaram Urchernum 
Vestet vides supplementum, sansum de pectui. Genitori, genitoque, lauset So that was the beautiful Tantum Ergo Sacramentum, which we use uh, during benediction. And of course, we played a piece of music at the start of the program, John, the Ave Verum Corpus, while we were uh, reflecting there at the start of our program, which was, we think, was attributed to uh, Pope Innocent VI. And again, I'm just going to reflect on the words of that, because again, it is a beautiful hymn that we often use during benediction. Hail, true body born of the Virgin Mary, having truly suffered, sacrificed on the cross for mankind, from whose pierced side water and blood flowed, be for us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in the trial of death. O sweet Jesus, O holy Jesus, O Jesus, Son of Mary, have mercy on me. Amen. And again, you can see there down the great theology that is within those Eucharistic hymns, Hail, true body born of Mary. We're hailing Jesus who suffered, sacrificed on the cross for us and from whose side water and blood flowed out. Water, a symbol of baptism, blood, a symbol of the Eucharist. So truly the sacraments were born from the side of Christ. Another beautiful hymn which we often use for Eucharistic adoration is um, one composed by St. Thomas Aquinas again, specifically for the Feast of Corpus Christi and it's Adoro Te Devote. It's one of the five Eucharistic hymns that Thomas wrote for that solemnity. And again, I just want to reflect on the words of that. So I'm going to read some of the words now and then we'll play out that hymn in full again. Beautiful, beautiful theology. Godhead here in hiding, whom I do adore, masked by these bare shadows, shape and nothing more. See, Lord, at thy service, low lies here a heart, lost, all lost in wonder at the God thou art. And that wonder and awe in God's presence, that's what we should try and evoke within ourselves when we're coming up to receive Jesus in Holy Communion or when we kneel before him, uh, whether he's exposed in the Blessed Sacrament, in other words, when we can see him, or we should also approach the tabernacle with such reverence. Oftentimes you see people either talking in church or kind of walking in front of, passing in front of the tabernacle, and we seem to forget sometimes that this is truly God present among us. This is Emmanuel, God with us in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, just one of the thoughts that just came to my mind there as you were, as you were just telling us that was part of our preparation as we entered the church is just to help us. Yeah. 
to have that grace to be able to recognize this is God's house and not just God's but Jesus is here he's in the most blessed sacrament in the, in the tabernacle mm-hmm. what a wonderful uh, resource we have but just to appreciate it that's Jesus Absolutely, absolutely. And it's for those of us who come to church often, it's it's good to remind ourselves of that because sometimes we can become a bit blasé, we can become a little bit used to it. And it's important to remind us ourselves that the church is not a theatre. The church is not a community hall. The church is a building dedicated, consecrated to God because God dwells there. In, in the Blessed Sacrament. Again, the second verse of that um, beautiful Godhead here in hiding or the Adorote Devote, seeing, touching, tasting, are in the deceived. In other words, again, Holy Communion looks like, tastes like, feels like bread, but it is Jesus we're receiving. How says trusty hearing, that shall be believed. What God's Son has told me, take for truth I do. Truth himself speaks truly, or there's nothing true. Again, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He cannot lie. And if we believe that Jesus is God, then we will accept the things that he teaches us. On the cross thy Godhead made no sign to men. Here thy very manhood steals from human ken. Both are my confession, a confession there meaning a profession of faith. Both are my belief and I pray the prayer of the dying thief. Of course, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I am not like Thomas, wounds I cannot see, but can plainly call thee Lord and God as he. I think that's beautiful in Ireland because we have the permission to use that beautiful um, mystery of faith, my Lord and my God. And what a beautiful prayer to pray before the Blessed Sacrament. One of the beautiful prayers that our parents taught us as we were children. Absolutely. And then maybe we're struggling a little bit in our faith. These lines perhaps are for us. Let me to a deeper faith daily nearer move. Daily make me harder hope and dearer love. O thou our reminder of Christ crucified, living bread, the life of us for whom he died. Lend this life to me then, feed and feast my mind. There be thou the sweetness man was meant to find. And of course, the Eucharist does nourish us. It nourishes our faith. We come to Mass to be nourished at two tables, at the table of the Word and at the table of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So we come to be nourished, to have our minds and hearts opened and enlightened by the Holy Spirit in order to receive Jesus. Bring the tender tale true of the pelican, Bathe me, Jesu Lord, in what thy bosom ran, blood whereof a single drop has power to win all the world's forgiveness of its world of sin. One single drop of Jesus' blood would have been sufficient to save us. And yet he chose to die for us, to give his very life for us. It's incredible again, just to reflect on that, that kind of the fittingness of how Jesus became man and chose to save us in and through our humanity. Jesus, whom I look at, shrouded here below, I beseech thee, send me what I thirst for so, some day to gaze on thee face to face in light, and be blessed forever with thy glory's sight. Amen. Of course, the Eucharist is the foretaste of heaven. It is 
bread for the journey. It is to nourish within us that desire for heaven because God created us out of love and for love to be with him forever in heaven. So we're going to give you an opportunity to reflect maybe on one or two of those points by playing Godhead here in hiding from the Basilica of the Blessed Trinity.
course, that was This Is My Body, written by Eric Thames. A nice little introduction to our most important part of the programme, where we read and reflect on the Word of God for this, the Feast of the Body and Blood of Jesus. And before that, Anne helps us to do that by read, praying this prayer for us before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be in resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander. May we give ourselves entirely to to this listening. We ask this water in union with Mary. He used to recite the Psalms to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. So now the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 11 to 17. Jesus made the crowds welcome and talked to them about the kingdom of God, and he cured those who were in need of healing. It was late in the afternoon when the twelve came to him and said, Send the people away, and they can go to the villages and farms around about to find food and lodging, for we're in a lonely place here. He replied, Give them something to eat themselves. Give them something to eat yourselves. But he said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go ourselves and buy food for all these people. For there are about five thousand men. But he said this to his disciples, Get them to sit down in parties of fifty. They did so, and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, raised his eyes to heaven, and said the blessing over them. Then he broke them and handed them to his disciples to distribute among the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted, and when the scraps remaining were collected, they filled twelve baskets. So that's the Gospel for today, a familiar Gospel, a beautiful Gospel. Lorraine, you would like to start us off with a reflection, please? Of course, John. Um, Today, as we've been reflecting on throughout our programme, is the Feast of Corpus Christi. So we have the beautiful reflection of the feeding of the multitude. But before we go on to that, let's have a quick look at the first reading. The first reading is from Genesis 14, 18 to 20. And there we learn about Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who brought bread and wine which again was a sign of the Eucharist, pointing forward towards the Eucharist. And then in our second reading, we have uh, the account of the institution of the Eucharist from the first letter of the Corinthians. This is what I received from you and in turn passed on to you, that on the same night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, thanked God for it and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this as a memorial of me. And of course, um, the author, St. Paul, goes on to describe this is my blood. So it is in that context that we're reading today's gospel from Luke. Um, Just to give a little bit of background for Luke's gospel. Luke had 
sorry, Jesus had been um, sending his 72 out on mission, people who would go and preach repentance. And then they've come back to him in chapter nine and Jesus and the disciples go apart in a lonely place. They return from the mission to which they were sent and they come to a place near Bethsaida, north of the Lake of Galilee. Uh, Mark's Gospel adds that Jesus had invited them to rest for a little while. So I think you're going to come back to that later, John, in your reflection. Then we find that the crowd seeks Jesus and Jesus welcomes them. So you can imagine, firstly, the excitement of the people. We, we think of them as a multitude or as a crowd, but each of those hearts had been touched in some way by the grace of God in order to go into that quiet place, that lonely place, to seek him out. And what happened when they sought him? Jesus welcomed them. And again, we might touch on that in a little while. So then the next part is, you know, the the disciples who are probably retired um, have a very human response to all this. Kind of like, Jesus, will you stop talking to them and send them home? Sure, they're starving, we're starving, we're all wrecked. Um, and they point out the hunger of the crowd. The day is fading, it's almost sunset. Where are they going to get food? Maybe the disciples are a little bit worried that the, you know, the crowd will turn on them and go, yeah, grand, you've been talking to us all this wonderful time, but uh, now we're hungry. What are you going to do about it? So reading between the lines of this description, we find something very important. People forget to eat in order to stay with Jesus. People themselves, they haven't been, we think, grumbling about jeepers, there's no kebab shop nearby. What are we going to do for lunch or how are we going to how are we going to feed ourselves? It's when you're being nourished by Jesus himself, who is the bread of life, all our other considerations kind of fall out of our mind a little bit. Um, Jesus must have known how to attract people, even to the point that they forget everything to follow him into the desert. And of course, we have Jesus's kind of slightly enigmatic response. You give them something to eat. Now it's back in the lads is kind of, you know, the ball is back with the lads again and they're kind of. uh, How, you know, the disciples are frightened because literally Literally, all they have are two fish and five loaves. And they must be thinking between themselves, like, this isn't enough to feed Jesus. Never mind everybody else. How are we going to manage this? What are we going to do? Um, So they can only think of a traditional solution. Somebody has to go and buy bread for the people. Somebody has to get the money, buy the bread, distribute it among the crowd. But that's not possible in a desert. So... They can't see any other possibility. So if Jesus insists on not sending the crowd away and there is no solution to the hunger of the crowd, what are they going to do? And then, of course, we come to Jesus's own initiative on how to feed the 5,000. Like 5,000, John. That's a lot of people. I heard somewhere there was 5,000 men. The average family could well, be no. four, so that could be 20,000. I wasn't going to bring that point. I'm <laughs> only joking. only joking. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It would have more than likely it was a lot more than 5,000 because they only counted the guys. And it's at this point that Luke begins to use the Bible to throw light on the facts of Jesus's life. He recalls Moses. It was Moses who first gave the hungry crowd something to eat in the desert after leaving Egypt. 
Well, really, it was God through Moses. Luke also recalls the prophet Elisha. He, it was he, in fact, who in the Old Testament had made a few loaves more than sufficient to feed a multitude. Again, I would say it was God through the intercession of Elisha that um, fed the multitude in two kings. So then we have this sense that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the one that we have been waiting on. And of course, it points us to the Eucharist. Um, The people are invited to sit on the ground. Jesus multiplies the loaves and asks the disciples to distribute them. It's important to notice the way that Luke describes the action, because the action itself are the very actions that we use in the Mass. Jesus took the food. He raises his eyes to heaven, says the blessing over them. He breaks them and hands them to his disciples. So in the same way, the priest takes the bread, raises his eyes to heaven, blesses the bread, breaks it and distributes Holy Communion to us. These words uh, will be used and are still used in the celebration of the Eucharist. So Luke suggests that the Eucharist must lead to the multiplication of loaves, that is to sharing. So we have this obligation We're told it at the end of every Mass, go, the Mass has ended. Go glorify the Lord with your lives. Go and share what you have received in this Eucharist with every person that that you meet. And of course, the great sign that we receive in that Gospel, all will eat, all will be satisfied and there will be full baskets left over. And I wonder where that's going to happen. Ultimately, of course, it's heaven where everyone will be fed and everyone will be satisfied and there will be much, much more left over because grace will unfold upon grace. Glory will unfold upon glory. We've, as St. Paul says, like no eye has heard, has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for us. So some people might say, well, was there a miracle or was it just sharing? Well, there was obviously a miracle. But that miracle is expanded. It's borne out in all of our lives by how we share our lives with others. We are called to be that bread broken for the world. John, you had a thought. Just a thought that I picked up from Nixie Davina. Father Frank Duick, Newcastle West, quarter past eight to quarter past nine every Monday. Father Frank, just uh, stress the point a little bit about about the crowd coming to Jesus right at the start of the gospel there, the, 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 the crowds. And always throughout the gospels we hear of the crowds following Jesus up and down mountains and in deserts and all sorts of places. And one would say, well, why would they, why would they bother to go to all that trouble of, of following this man? But they were hungry. They were hungry for the word of God. They were hungry for what he said. They knew he was authentic. And yeah, okay, some people say, well, yeah, they, they only really went because of the miracles and so on, and they cured people. But no, they kept on coming through all, all sorts of challenges to hear the word of God. From every walk of life they came. And what it reminded me of, Lorraine, was this week, the Naveen in the Redemptist there that was just finished up this week in, in Limerick. Crowds of people come in from 7 o'clock in the morning till half 10 at night, all sorts of shapes uh, and sizes of people and from all backgrounds and so on and so forth. Well, people who might have been at Mass every mo- every Monday morning or every Tuesday morning, but they came 
And they come in their droves. And why do they come? Because there's something there they know it's the word of God being proclaimed. Challenging them sometimes and sometimes encouraging them, which is what the bread of, of life, which is the word of God as well, always does bring. So maybe this week we can reflect, maybe, on where we are in our life in terms of do we give sufficient time to follow Jesus, uh, follow his teachings at Mass when they're read through the Word of God? And no matter where we are in our life, maybe Jesus wants to feed us with his Word every day, every week. So maybe we can start out this week by offering that little bit more time to listen to what Jesus has to say to us. So again, thank you very much indeed, ladies, for, for coming to join me this morning. Um, the Feast of Corpus Christi, a beautiful feast day for all of us to be able to enjoy and to feed on what the Lord has given us. With that in mind, thanks, Anne. And thanks again, Lorraine. You're very welcome. Piece of music you've got to finish off with, please. Our final piece of music is a very appropriate piece again. It's I Am the Bread of Life. It's an up-tempo beat and it's from Notre Dame Folk Choir. So it's next week where we will be reflecting on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So from Lorraine, Lorraine and myself, God bless you all now. Bye-bye.